Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day! Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show for episode number 1365, entitled I Am Iron Jan. <laughs> well, our podcast title is Repodser Blast. Because I am flying Jan Solo today, and it's been a rather challenging week, I am going to revert to something which I haven't been able to default to for quite some time owing to the pandemic. Now, today I'm going to do a little bit of a report on the state of the Stark. Now, notwithstanding the mystic medical abilities of the likes of Sorcerer Supreme Doctor Strange, it's been a complicated pandemic in the comic book world. Last year's prolonged distribution shutdown of US American books gave fans pause to reflect, as in practically all other fields of human activity, on the vulnerability of supply chains, which is an ironic weakness. Yes, I am irony man. Well, if you like, it's a weakness in the otherwise invulnerable superhero metaverse. Where's Captain Logistics when you really need him? Well, he's busy, of course, trying to keep arguably more essential things moving, like food, (laughs) medical supplies, and quite likely the spice melange. The spice must flow. But it wasn't just the print arm of the comic book industry that faltered when you consider that the contemporary powerhouses of the superhero movie universes were also forced to delay the release, on the big screen at least, of their latest blockbuster offerings by the closure of cinemas across the planet. Unfortunately, Marvel fans in particular were not left entirely stranded as the streaming services picked up the slack with television series like WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the animated What If and Loki, and the financially controversial but much appreciated by me at least simultaneous large and small screen releases of the long-awaited Black Widow prequel film. And Megan and I have covered all of those over the past year on Zero G. Anywho, the recent prolonged, if necessary, Melbourne and Victorian state lockdown here produced another comic book drought for this Marvel zombie. Having survived 2021's comic apocalypse, I was more content to let my pull list of books pile up for a couple of months in my local comic book store, which is to say Melbourne's All-Star Comics. Though I could, of course, have had them mailed out to me, which I was kind of reluctant to do with Australia Post being as overloaded as it's been. I'm sure the comics would have been okay. I just didn't want to add to the burden of the postal service in its already challenging times. Well, now I'm able to collect my stash again, I thought that I deserved a bit of indulgence with my favourite comic book character, which is to say, as Zero OG listeners well know, is the Invincible Iron Man. 
But first, I think we'll go to a track just to set the proper iron content of the show for today. So, time to armour up and hero up, as it were, with the soundtrack from Iron Man 3. You all know how much I loved Shane Black's movie. And this one is by Brian Tyler, and it's the, what I now consider to be, iconic Iron Man track, Can You Dig It? And I think what Brian's done here is captured a very cool retro spy-fi feel for the Iron Man movie, and this played over the end credits scene. Hmm, broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 R FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Yeah, can you dig it? Brian Tyler's soundtrack for Iron Man 3, Shane Black's magnificent bit of a piss take on the Iron Man legend. I loved it, especially the secret reveal of the Mandarin's identity, subsequently retconned and rebooted for the Shang-Chi and the legend of the Ten Rings movie. Ah, gotta love Sir Ben Kingsley's <laughs> highly original take on the character of the Mandarin from Iron Man 3. I laughed all the way through that. So much joy, so much fun, so much unexpected humour. Well, as I said earlier on in today's show, I'm having a bit of an indulgence today. Uh, I'm flying Jan Solo and it's been a challenging week, so without actually any apologies... I'm having a bit of a flight of Iron Fancy with my favourite comic book character, Iron Man, since I've been able to collect my stash of comics once again after the lockdown. So, without further recap, this is the state of the Stark in the comic books. Now, I make my usual observation that even though the character is deceased in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I know, it's too soon, that Iron Man still has an ongoing presence in both animated television series, particularly the recent What If series, and the comic books as well. And given Tony Stark's techno-centricity in the Marvel Universe, he makes a handy benchmark for what's going on in general, as he's often one of the feature characters in the crossover titles. So let's start with the multi-character books and work our way inwards. (laughs) time for Avengers to assemble. And look, forgive me if I sound a little bit like Lewis doing a story recap in an Ant-Man movie with a lot of flow-on, excited, maybe overexcited sentences. Now, I'm pretty darn chuffed to be reading comic books again in hard copy print form. And yeah, I know, it's been possible to do that online and all those other sort of digital jiggery-pokery methods, but it's just nice to crack open a book once again. Where were we? Assembling with the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, issue 47, 48 and 49, working their way up to this reboot numeration's 50th special issue, which sees Stark and the Avengers still trying to rescue She-Hulk from the clutches of a Russian Red Room plot 
to subvert her and use her power to literally bring down the kingdom of Atlantis. And speaking of water, as you know from the Black Widow movie at the very least, the Red Room is where the Russians brainwash victims into becoming assassins for them, which is a, an absolutely terrifying prospect when you think of She-Hulk, or indeed any Hulk, being bent to evil purposes. But here's the thing, though. Shulky, as she's laconically nicknamed, a.k.a. Lawyer Supreme Jennifer Walters, is nobody's, well, um... Patsy. And does she really need to be rescued? It all plays out in heavy-duty frightfulness and smashing in writer and artist team Javier Garin and David Curiel's World War She-Hulk story arc here in the pages of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. They're both doing a really good job. (laughs) Now, Tony's part in all of this is to provide the usual Stark tech support and the armoured spearhead for the rescue op. In Stark's words, we're coming for you, Jen. Oh, and he's probably going to pay for a good chunk of everything, at least for whatever tab the wealthy Wakandans don't pick up. It's gamma-powered combat for all, which is as much psychological as physical as Jen battles against the plot to turn her into a kind of Winter Hulk asset. We also explore the continued tragic arc of Gorilla Man, the Avengers resident simian turned betrayer. And a shout-out to the letterer for these issues, Corey Pettit, who does a particularly evocative job of encapsulating a kind of running log of the Red Room's operational report, which is ironically placed in context of the unfolding action, which, of course, doesn't go anything like the way that they expected it to or that they schemed for. Some artistic highlights in this. Thor creating an underwater lightning storm, which should be impossible, but, you know, Odin's son, God of Thunder, all of that. And Tony and Captain America are stealth-suiting their way on a mission, which is really cool. And there's also a rogues gallery of the Submariner's enemies lining up to stage an aquatic coup. And being kind of miffed at the possibility of someone else toppling him first when they've been in the queue waiting for so long and have bought tickets and everything. Now, shifting over to the Avengers Tech-On Avengers... Issues 1, 2, and 3. Well, this is kind of a technological follow-up to the recently concluded Iron Mech Strike series. And once again, we've got Tony Stark providing custom-made power-armoured suits to his colleagues to outfit the Iron Avengers team. He's always trying to get them to suit up. The twist this time is that an Infinity Stone Shard-infused Red Skull because the Infinity Stones have recently been destroyed in the comic book universe. And he's sort of collected all of the dust. Ah, he's a trier, is old Mr. Skull. Well, he's depowered everyone from their organic in-character superpowers. So yes, Steve Rogers is back to his uh, considerably debuffed non-super-soldier state. But you know, Captain America is more than his muscles. And Carol Danvers is no longer Captain Sparkle Fist, but again, Carol is more than her aviating energy powers. 
Spider-Man can't wall crawl anymore, and Wolverine is dying from his adamantium skeleton poisoning him without his healing factor intervening. And even King T'Challa has not got the powers of his heart-shaped herb coursing through his veins, but in spite of that, he still has his advanced Wakandan Black Panther vibranium armour, and of course the technical support of his own super genius, Shuri, who he does actually tease Stark about at times, comparing their relative super genius prowess. And yes, although we no longer have Chadwick Boseman playing T'Challa in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, although he's actually got a lot of legacy role in the What If animated series with voice recordings done before the actor's very untimely death, we still have the character of T'Challa in the comic books, just as we have Iron Man still there. Anyway, without the superheroes having the super part on the whole of their characters in play, it's up to, yes, you guessed it, Tony Stark once again with his Stark tech coming to the rescue, even if Pepper Potts doesn't make an appearance as he suits up all of his friends and colleagues. Now, look, this one feels like it's all designed to help sell toys. Who'd have thunk? Though I've only seen the previous Mech Strike line in the toy shops, to be sure. But it's still a rather cool story with Tony wrestling with his guilt for not foreseeing the Red Skull's plan. Yes, yes, I know, it's all about him which is something that Captain America does make note of, while simultaneously doing his considerable inventive best to make things right by anticipating the Skull's future plans and coming up with counters to his nefarious moves. You know, there is no problem that cannot be solved by the proper application of armour. <laughs> so, anyway, this series is written by Jim Subb, at Marvel, and he's known for relaunching the Thunderbolts and his run on the Champions, and also his current Conan the Barbarian comics. And Jeffrey Cruz is the main artist with a very signature look here, setting everything against mainly dark toned panels, which does allow him to emphasize everything with glowing highlights. With a slightly anime manga styling of the characters trending towards a more youthful appearance for them. And some very natty variant covers too, which make a nice little Avengers assemblage all in their own right. Alright, so since we've talked about Earth's Mightiest Heroes, it seems to me that we need to play an Alan Silvestri variant track, Shades of Loki. And what makes it a variant Avengers theme? Well, it's done a cappella. I've actually liked quite a few of these sorts of things, and this one is by a group called The Warp Zone. So here we go. The Avengers theme without any instruments apart from the human voice, or perhaps the inhuman voice in the context of superheroes. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. <laughs> cool. That's the Warp Zone's acapella parody of Alan Silvestri's The Avengers theme. Not those Avengers, not the British Avengers, the US American ones, the Marvel Cinematic Universe ones. And they've done a lot of acapella parodies of genre movies and television series themes, well worth checking out the Warp Zone. They have their own YouTube channel, of course. 
All right, back to my state of the Stark report. Just my little self-indulgent, admittedly, but I think I've earned that in the long wait for new comic books. And I'm talking about my favourite comic book character today, Flying Jan Solo, which is to say the Invincible Iron Man. What is it about Iron Man comics that I cleave to, that I'm inspired to suit up by after, gosh, it must be at least close to four or five decades of reading Iron Man comics now. And I can tell you, I can remember, the very first encounters I had with it was with the 1960s Marvel limited animation television series where they had the Invincible Iron Man cartoon, which is basically just comic book panels sort of cut out and reworked into animation. Very, very limited, but had a very catchy tune, which I shall play in a moment, and which they also used as Tony Stark's ringtone in the Iron Man 1 movie. Well, Again, for me, the appeal of Iron Man comics, of course, Zero-G, is kind of pretty much defaulting to futurism all the time, being a science fiction show in particular. So it's the futurist album, and surely Tony Stark is the futurist supreme. Not always to good effect. You know, he's always trying to tell us what's good for us and put a suit of armour around the world, and that does not always work out for the best. Well, along with the futurism, he is also the maker supreme, and I'm a bit of a maker myself, dabbling in costumes and artefacts and other things, and of course there is no one more mechanically minded in that respect, the mechanic the engineer of the Marvel Universe and Tony Stark, always out there on the frequently bleeding edge of technology, showing us the good side and the bad side, the fact that it is a double-edged sword. And of course there's the fact that there are more diverse Iron Man toys than you can get for any other character in the world, possibly save uh, Batman or Spider-Man. <laughs> so there is that. That man has a new suit for every damn occasion, every new book, every new movie, multiple ones all at once. Now, then of course there's the armoured angle itself. I've always been a fan of King Arthur and Ned Kelly in its, his own sort of grim little way and interested in armoured vehicles and did a bit of a stint in the Society for Creative Anachronism, so got into armoured costuming. So naturally I will gravitate towards somebody like Tony Stark. Then there's the interesting psychological fact that along with his maker supreme personality, it's not just building things and coming up with solutions to problems that he's addicted to. He has an alcohol addiction as well. And I've had people in my life who've been similarly afflicted, and it's always been interesting to see how Stark deals with his own addictions in that respect. Inspirational is probably the word I should use there. He also rocks a moustache, but let's move on from that, and it doesn't hurt the fact that Robert Downey Jr. so memorably played Iron Man in the movies, bringing to life a lot of these characteristics under the auspices of initially John Favreau and Joss Whedon and so on, Shane Black, etc., throughout the MCU, right up to the Russo brothers with their take on the character. Well, 
it's also the fact that it's become something of a nostalgia trip for me, which is, of course, highly ironic in context of the whole futurist thing, but there it is. You know how you get when you've watched a sitcom for a long time, the characters become almost like friends to you? In some cases, if that's a show that you like, they are friends. But in the case of comic strips, for example, in newspapers, you get so used to reading their daily adventures. And so it is with me, with Iron Man. They've become a gallery of people who I'm very, very familiar with. And that's comforting. Well, enough of trying to work out why I like Iron Man. Let's have a track here, which I promised you before. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Radio ironing out the differences there with Jack Urbont's theme from the 1960s Iron Man cartoon. Rob Jan here on Zero G today by myself. Megan McHugh is on a well-deserved break and I am indulging myself with a little bit of a Passover of the state of the Stark, my favourite character in the Marvel comics, that is to say, Iron Man, Tony Stark. Rightio, well, I think it's time to have a look at another Iron Man comic here, a recent one, and, well, you know, over in the Captain Marvel book, Tony Stark provides life-saving medical tech support for Carol Danvers, who's trying to stop an enemy from kidnapping and controlling other heroes, who also have borne the title of Marvel, including Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, who's got her own television series coming up too. Carol's boyfriend, James Rhodes, also lends a metal-clad hand with his own Stark Tech war machine armour. And do you think that Tony entirely appreciates being interrupted in his important world-saving and armouring-up work to provide ob armour care for his fellow Avengers and their mates. Well, yeah, he gets a bit giddy about that, but never mind. He's always a good friend, (laughs) except when he's not. And we'll get to that in a moment. Now, that moment is here. So, speaking of medical weirdness, Stark is part of the ongoing multi-titled Darkhold miniseries in Marvel Comics. His particular chapter is by Ryan North, who I know more for his light-hearted work on Squirrel Girls comics, as well as the juvenile team Power Pack. But here he's dipped into full-on Cronenberg body horror, rebooting Stark in a particularly signature macabre way. After returning from the kidnapped imprisonment that inspired him to build his first Iron Man suit, Tony Stark further tinkers with the armour, equipping it to regenerate physical injuries he's incurred in combat. And he's working with Pepper Potts, who in this book is also a scientist at Stark Industries. Well, what is this Darkhold? To quote from the Marvel wiki, Aeons ago, the elder evil god known as Cthon wrote all his evil works and spells on indestructible parchment. Originally written on flesh before being transcribed to stone, and later a collection of parchments, often referred to as the Cthon Scrolls. The pages were later bound together into a tome of the Codex type named The Dark Hold, 
also known as the Shiatra Book of the Damned, or the Book of Sins. It has served as the source for other such books of spells as the Necronomicon. <laughs> and before you can say, no, you must not read from the book, Tony, Stark's bioregenerative armour has consumed his very flesh. Corrupting what's left of his organic mind, he sets about transforming his others into cyber Iron Men. Yes, just like Doctor Who. Classic Iron Man gone very, very bad tale. <laughs> so, speaking of which, you know that Black Sabbath's iconic, ironic hit Iron Man is actually about an Iron Man gone very, very wrong. And so I couldn't think of a better way to commemorate that in this context than to have William Shatner singing it. And, you know, there was a stage when we used to think that William Shatner had gone very, very wrong pursuing a singing career. But you know what? He's kind of caught up with the times. All the times have caught up with him, which is extremely worrying. We were talking the other week about... Captain Kirk's inaugural actual flight into real space. And now, here's another cosmic hit with Iron Man from his Seeking Major Tom album. Dathdar, this is Gareth David Lloyd, Dianto Jones from Torchwood. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Take a seat, I've just put the kettle on. Yeah, <laughs> William Shatner there doing his own inevitable inimitable, invincible version of Black Sabbath's Iron Man from his Seeking Major Tom album. Does that count as the Zero G's weekly Bowie reference? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Rob Jan back here doing his not at all repentant, self-indulgent look at the state of the Stark, which is to say the character of Iron Man in recent Iron Man comics, inspired by a very challenging week that I've had, and having recourse to the balm of that warm arc reactor light for all Iron Man kind that is Tony Stark in the Marvel comic books. I've been able to pick up my stash of books from All-Star Comics once again after the lockdown. Well, we talked about Iron Man Gone Bad before the William Shatner track, and way less monstrously, Melbourne's own Tom Taylor removes all electrical power from the earth with a massive and tenacious EMP effect in the comic book Dark Ages. Now, this is a multi-arc comic book, and Tom Taylor has turned Tony Stark evil before, this time, it's a bit of an enlightening transformation as the world returns to a simpler time without electrical power. After losing a leg in the chaos as electricery ceases to function, Stark has rallied and has produced his very own steam-powered armour. <laughs> and he's done that before too, but it's fun here as well. I've got a couple of issues before me at the moment. And, well, there are some classic Taylorisms in here. Uh, for example, using a certain mutant as a power source. Ah, you're a wag, Mr. Taylor. And heroes for good, as they help 
protect surviving centres of population from the many, many forces of darkness, especially vampires and werewolves and homai, other critters of the night, that are haunting the long enforced periods of night in a world without electrical light. Taylor's doing something not entirely thematically dissimilar in his medieval take on the DC universe over in that production house, come to think of it. These look like being a lot of almost green fun. (laughs) Actually, I don't know what's happened to the Hulk in this one yet. Where we get to see Tony placed on the scuppers, And that's usually a good thing because, you know, he can invent a suit of armour out of scraps in a cave. But I noticed that this was trending towards a bit of a nightmare scenario where the particular foe of the story has enlisted the help of the mind-bending Kilgrave. Remember him, David Tennant's turn in the Jessica Jones series? He's able to corrupt the minds of heroes and villains alike. And that does indeed happen to Mr. Stark in this series, Dark Ages, by Tom Taylor. So looking forward to future instalments in this series. It's got some clever bits in here too, beyond what I've already mentioned, which is to say Spider-Man spinning webs, and all of the other spiders too, to create a sort of a perimeter fence that can detect intruders. It's something that um, they haven't actually used a whole lot in the Spider-Man universe. That aspect of webs being sensitive to touch and being used as a basically a worldwide web as an alert system. Quite clever that, I thought. Tom Taylor is always unfailingly clever in his comic book work. Look, I'm beginning to sound a bit like Lewis from the Ant-Man movies doing all these recaps, but I thought I'd continue the journey with my look at Iron Man in the comic books with a parody track here, Iron Man 3, The Musical by Logan Kuenny Clark. No, not that Logan. Uh, Although, you know, he does have a bit of a grudge against Iron Man. (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, And this is the Iron Man 3, The Musical single. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G, the science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, Iron Man 3, the musical, a <laughs> single by Logan Huani Clark there. Just a little bit of a tribute to one of my favorite Iron Man movies. Rob Jan here by himself today, talking about Iron Man, one of my favourite comic book characters. Well, we've gone a a long journey from general comics which feature the genius that is Tony Stark through to some crossover comics and weird titles that have come out recently. And now finally we wind up in his own book, the Iron Man flagship title, where writer Christopher Cantwell, no, not the white supremacist, but a well-respected and regarded Marvel writer himself, gets into the endgame of his long story arc, where Tony and a team of mostly C-list, hastily assembled heroes, come on, there's a frogman in the group, have engaged in a long chase across the galaxy to stop the evil Korvac, from stealing cosmic-level powers from the home starship of mighty Galactus himself. 
True believers, can you believe it? Well, you'll have to, because Tony has taken a stopover in an isolated space colony, where he becomes a bit of an Iron Mandalorian protector figure, guarding kidnapped settlers who formed a pretty functional community under the somewhat startling guidance of former evildoer, Stiltman. Is Stiltman now an evil donter? Well, I doubt it. But Stark has to also fight his own growing addiction to the morphine drip that's helping him deal with a fractured neck. Yes, he's stuck it out once too often, and you'd be surprised how well an armoured neck brace functions to keep that more or less immobile. Anyway, um, he's continuing to face a rather nostalgic-powered gallery of his previous enemies, including characters like the Unicorn and Blizzard and the mighty giant robot Ultimo. And we actually find the planet of the Ultimos in this story. Now, the team, which they've nicknamed the Space Friends, (laughs) some classic Stark snark there, are quite fascinating. You've got Hellcat, War Machine, Misty Knight, you know, just your standard Space Force. (laughs) So there are people like Patsy Walker in this that I strongly appreciated seeing in context of Stark. She's a, a fellow addict and sufferer and victim, and the friendship that she develops between herself and Stark is quite affecting. Patsy Walker being a very old Marvel comic character, as we've explored before in context of Netflix's Jessica Jones series, and she premiered in a teen romantic comedy series, and they later integrated her into the superhero franchise, using her in the Avengers and the Defenders. And she was actually created by uh, Stuart Little, no, not that Stuart Little, and Ruth Atkinson back in 1944 in that precursor to Marvel Comics Timely. Eventually, she became the hero Hellcat in Avengers 144 in 1976. So that's a really deep cut there. Anyway, I'm talking about issues 11, 12 and 13 of the Marvel comic Iron Man main title book. And there's some really great Alex Ross covers in all of this, where this artist has clearly mastered the art of reflections upon the metallic surface of Iron Man's armour. And not only that, he's actually able to do reflections of the reflections in his artwork. That is maestro work right there. And he's also conjuring up iconic cover of his comics from the past. In this particular case, I'm looking at one here with Iron Man fighting Stiltman high over the city of New York, with all of the buildings in perspective, and of course the stilts going down for seeming miles with Iron Man engaged in an epic stout. This is great stuff. I love all of these Alex Ross covers for this. They're particularly noteworthy. And the interior artwork is pretty damn good too. Angel uh, Anzueta is the main artist for these. Once again, in modern comics, you can see that uh, glowiness that the computer colouring techniques are enabled to bring out in particular. And, you know, that whole uh, chiaroscuro light and shade effect is particularly moody and well worthwhile in this context. It makes a lot of sense to have that going on there. And there's some great sound effects too, which I can't adequately render on air, although I could certainly give it a try, that remind 
me a little bit of the old Don Martin Mad Magazine sound effects in places. She da dunk as Tony falls on his ass, or you know, zewop. <laughs> He's also managed to render, and that is to say, a shout out to the letterer VCs Joe Caramagna here. He's rendered these sound effects in um, a sort of a, a concrete poetry-like way, where they actually seem to have presence and heft on the page. So, yeah, great compilation there, the latest issues of the Iron Man main title Marvel comic. And right up the back of this, after this particular thing is kind of resolved, we get into a picture of a cosmic-powered Iron Man. And, wow, that looks like it's going to be a particularly big issue. Yeah, you know, Starkey's aspirational god at the best of times or will it be the worst of times we don't know all right well that's about it for zero g today we've had a a rollicking invincible sojourn with the golden avenger old shellhead himself iron man in the marvel comic books and yeah this is inspired by me having a particularly challenging week but also by the fact that i'm celebrating being able to access printed comic books again thanks to all star comics and they're keeping my stash safe for me in the vault or perhaps it's a raft of comic books down there i also note not just to mention and shout out to all star but also to Minotaur Books, one of the many other comic stores in Melbourne. Great to see that these places have actually managed to survive and perhaps thrive a little under the difficult lockdown that we've been through, a necessary lockdown, I happen to think. And Minotaur Books has actually moved from their long-term Elizabeth Street dungeon uh, up to street level, but we've also an underground section in, uh, where is it, Little Collins Street, up near the David Jones store. And I saw them trading away, what troopers, with an impromptu book sale on trestle tables outside, thus fulfilling the requirement of being able to have a COVID-safe street trading aspect. So good on them, nice initiative. Okay, thanks to Megan McHugh, Zero G's co-host, Kayla Larson, our podcaster, and Joe Brenatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. So we're going to go out today with a double here, and that is to say Tony Stark, which is a track from Kirby Crackle, and their album Acoustic in Australia, Kirby Crackle being a reference to Jack King Kirby's iconic style of depicting cosmic energy as blobs and dots on the printed page and we'll also go with Robert Downey Jr's The Futurist with that particular named track from that album until next week I am Iron Jan G'day this is Rob Jan thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.